We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts, and it is so good to see your faces in person. <laughs> you know, over the past year and a half, I've been sitting in that room right over there preaching to a camera, <laughs> trying to imagine the real people that are on the other side. I um, mean, God has been faithful, right, where his word comes to life. Regardless of the size of the room you're in, you could be in a room that seats a thousand people, or you could be sitting in, sitting in a closet with one other person, um, that's my wife, <laughs> with your kids asleep on the couch in the next room. <laughs> but God's word is powerful. That's the starting place for me. God's word has changed my life. God's word is living and active, right? So my job as your pastor, is to present God's word, the unadulterated, the undiluted, the unedited word of God, right? And sometimes it's going to be super comforting and your heart's going to explode with love. Other times it's going to be super challenging and you're going to want to quit and go home. Uh, but it's, it's God's word. That's the starting place is this is the only book on the planet with a pulse. And so every time we open God's word, there is the potential for supernatural stuff to happen. When the spirit of God empowers the word of God and it drives it into the hearts of the people of God, now all of a sudden that's a combustible environment, a spiritually combustible environment where God could do something in the next few minutes that changes you forever. Right? God could do something in the next few minutes that spills out of this room into our neighborhood. Right? That people right now in our neighborhood that are having dinner or just sitting in their living room, the Spirit of God is about to be so strong in this place that they're going to notice something. They can't quite put their finger on it, but it is the presence of Jesus. It's like a, an explosion of light. Right? And people see a fire burning in the distance Right? And they're going to know that something is happening. Right, We are putting the forces of hell on notice. Right, That we're about to take back some territory from the enemy. In this neighborhood, in your neighborhoods, in your family, in our city, and beyond. So this sermon series that I've called Holy Spirit Unleashed. Spirit Unleashed. And to unleash means to surrender control. Come on, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many control freaks do we have in the house? Right? You got to know, right? You got to know what the plan is. You got to know kind of what the future is. And so you, you have these charts and graphs and it's color coded, right? You have your labels and you have your, your, um, your systems. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit has a tendency to turn the blender on and just makes, makes everything messy, right? Well, the Spirit is ultimately in control. So what determines the direction of our church? The Holy Spirit, right? Our job isn't to build an engine. My job as a pastor isn't to hand you an oar and tell you to get to work. My job is to raise the sail, and we are absolutely, completely, unapologetically dependent upon the Spirit. Right? If the Spirit doesn't show up, we go nowhere, right? We accomplish nothing. 
But when the Spirit shows up and fills the sail and takes us places we never would have taken ourselves, right? That is the Spirit of God. When we unleash the Spirit in our personal lives, and that's going to be the concluding challenge today, right? Have you unleashed the Spirit in your life? Some people say, well, John, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And I say, well, when are you going to let him loose on the rest of your life? Right? We bring Jesus out like he's a mascot, like we, every, we have him on a leash and we show him to people like a little pet lamb. Right? Well, Jesus is not a mascot. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't put the king on a leash. He's not domesticated. He is wild and powerful and oftentimes unpredictable. And we come to this part in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, and, and this, is, this is a powerful series for me. As we're starting a church, as we're trusting God to bring the right people with the right gifts, right? it's the Spirit of God that has gifted you to be an essential part of this local body. Right? We don't have consumers, we have members. Right? You're a part of this. And if you don't show up, you're irreplaceable, right? The Spirit's going to gift you in a way that's going to help us know what God's will is for our church. So we have this sermon series that's shaping our church from infancy, creating the organizational DNA, the spiritual DNA. Acts chapter 4, we're going to be reading beginning in verse 23. And let me set the scene for our passage for today. Our passage is the conclusion of a section that started at the beginning of chapter 3. It's a fairly lengthy story that we've been tracking with for several weeks now. Peter and John heal a crippled beggar. Do you remember that message? And the whole message was, you have to be interruptible. When you are dropping your kids off at school in, praise God, a couple of weeks, when you are... When you are going to pick up groceries, right, and you're looking for the whatever it is at Safeway, right, wherever it is, when you're at a restaurant or we're, we're, you're at the gym, right, you have to be interruptible. Where Peter and John said, this wasn't on our itinerary, but the Spirit of God is up to something, and i got to stop and be obedient to the Spirit. That immediate obedience to the prompting of the Spirit and so they, they end up healing this guy that was crippled from birth, and that sets off a chain reaction of reactions, right? you got thousands of people, man. It's the middle of the day, right? Thousands of people, and it, it's, the news of the healing is spreading like wildfire through the crowd, and people are poking their heads up. You've been in those situations before, right? Right? Like you're, you're, you're going down the highway, and you see ambulances and fire trucks, and what do you do? Like, I remember it was um, three or four months ago, um, I was on my way home here to Charleswood, and I saw, like, a big plume of smoke over in the distance. And guess what I did? I had to go investigate, right? Maybe I need a chaplet or something, you know? So I went over there, and it was, you go down uh, Wilkes, right? And, you know, there's uh, Oasis over here on the right side, but it was... It was a house on fire, but I wasn't the only one, right? It was, was a whole parade of cars, and we're all like, well, I just was curious. What was, what's burning, you know? And so that's what happens here in Acts chapter 3 
is God does something and a lot of people all of a sudden are really curious about what just happened and how it happened. And the word spreads like wildfire through the crowd. And as the crowd is building, Peter began preaching and he told them that it was through the name and power of Jesus that this man stood before them healed. And that's a pretty powerful sermon illustration, right? You got, you got the dude that was crippled from birth that is standing right beside them. It is undeniable. Right? This is not theoretical. Let me tell you a story about a guy, like some preacher story, from some place that you've never been. Oh, the Christians in South America or the Christians over in China. Now, this dude... Right was, was, was holding on to Peter. And Peter says, you want to know how this guy got up and walked? Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. And if you repent of your sins, that same power can flow into your life. And these people are just, I just came for the popcorn, man. <laughs> like these guys are just blown away, like thrown back in their seat. But 2,000 people are saved. Right? I mean, I'm talking middle of the day. The Spirit interrupts their their routine interrupts their life and saves them. 2,000 people are saved. However, there's a radically different response from the religious leaders. These are the same guys that tortured and murdered Jesus seven weeks earlier. The exact same dudes, right? And they thought they had dealt with the Jesus problem, literally, right? They had buried the Jesus problem. They were greatly disturbed that Peter and John were healing and preaching in the name of Jesus. So they seized them, arrested them, put them in jail. And remember, I'm not talking 21st century jail. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about they get a phone call, right? I'm talking first century dungeon. <laughs> and Peter and John, these are the same guys that just tortured and murdered their rabbi. They have to think that they are next. They, there is no due process. There is no gives, innocent until proven guilty, right? There is no public defender. They, every sound in the night, they think it's somebody coming to execute them, right? That's a very real possibility for them. Sometimes following the Spirit will get you arrested, <laughs> Right? That's the bottom line, and we talked that Sunday about the Spirit will get you into trouble. Always into some kind of trouble, right? You're gonna, it's, it's not a question of making people upset. It's a question of making the right people upset. This group tried to intimidate Peter and John. They tried to bully them. And then the next day, it says 421, after further threats, they let them go. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's awesome. That's a prayer quake, right? That is, that's, have you ever been in a place where the Spirit was so strong that it literally felt like an earthquake? Where your world is shifting. Like this is literal here, by the way. This isn't figurative. It isn't spiritual. Right? This is literal. The place was shaking. I remember one time I was, I just started a job in South Louisiana and I was praying with, I was a college pastor. I was praying with the students and I had just, and it was the middle of a storm and we were at the chapel. We were praying. And when I read that verse, thunder, like no joke, thunder and lightning hit and it literally rattled the building. <laughs> and we were like, that's awesome. Like, the room just shook, man. When I read that verse, it was, so I was kind of hoping because it's stormy tonight. <laughs> Boom. But this literally happened. These are real Christians in a real prayer meeting, and the Spirit showed up in a real way. Peter and John get released from prison. These brothers are probably traumatized. Right? Just think about all that was going through their minds. Of Man, they're probably writing notes in their jail cell to their loved ones. Right? If I don't make it out of here, know that I love you. Live for Jesus. They're probably thinking of their, of their spouses. They're thinking of their kids. They're thinking of their family. And yet, now all of a sudden, they get set free. What did they do when they got out of jail? I can tell you what they didn't do. They didn't go into hiding. What a lot of us would have done, and, and who could blame us, right? They were traumatized and exhausted. They could have moved to another town and changed their identities and started over. It would have been like an old school witness protection program. They could have gone back to their family and friends. That would, that, that would seem natural, wouldn't it? It's like, go back to your people. Go back to your home base, Right? I know you, you left, you know, they dropped their nets and left everything three and a half years ago. You remember that? Right? And so it would, it would have made sense to people to say, you know what? It's over, man. Why are you risking so much for somebody that most people think is dead? He's been assassinated. He's been murdered. It's over. Go home. They could have gone back to their careers. They could have went to a lawyer and sued for their rights, but what did they do? I think this is huge, y'all. This is huge for me, is what did Peter and John do in that crisis moment? It says Peter and John went back to their own people. But when they say that he goes back to their own people, it means they went back to the believers. He's not talking about their actual physical family. He's talking about their spiritual family. And what that's communicates to us is, is we should have a superseding affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're in trouble, who should we call? 
We should call our church. We should call our church. In their crisis moment, they made a beeline for other believers. They left jail and went to church. They didn't hesitate, man. It was an immediate. They didn't debate. This was probably someone's house that other believers were gathered in, praying, waiting to hear what would happen with Peter and John. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if for whatever reason, I had been arrested, right? And, and Amy had asked our church to pray, and you guys were gathered right here in this probably very room, praying for me. Maybe it was me and Cal. Maybe me and Cal got arrested, right? And, I probably got arrested first. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, I, but what, what, if, what if we were arrested, right? And y'all were praying, and you don't even, like, what, uh, what are they, they going to do? Where are they going to send us? And all of a sudden, we show up, right? And we say, you're not going to believe what happened, right? And so everybody's super curious, right? Tell us what happened. And so we give you the play-by-play. Here's the, here's the point. During times of incredible uncertainty, during times of pain and suffering, during times of hardship and persecution, during times of injustice and trouble, where should we go? What is the one thing that should be without question? Our faith family. Our faith family. So we are able to endure because we know we're not alone. Church should be our first reaction rather than our last resort. Our tendency, our tendency is to isolate. My tendency is to isolate myself. Anybody else where all of a sudden the heat gets turned on and we back away? Right? when we should do the exact opposite. Because here's what happens. Our tendency during times of difficulty is to disengage. Our default position isn't drifting towards biblical community. On the contrary, our default position is to drift away. That's why we have to be super intentional with regularly connecting with our spiritual family. We have to be intentionally vulnerable with each other. This requires sacrifice. This requires intentionality. It requires vulnerability. The enemy knows that we are much more susceptible when we are alone. Have you ever seen these National Geographic shows before? You know which ones I'm talking about where the guy's whispering in the background and there's a herd of, um, what do you call these animals? Antelopes. You know what's about to happen, right? And the lioness. I mean, this guy has like a uh, this guy has like a British accent, you know. And the lioness prowls, right? And you can and you know it. And I can't look away, man. You know, my kids are like, Jay, it's a channel that's like I can't, I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta see this through. But you know the ones that get attacked and devoured are the stragglers. It's the stragglers that are targeted by the lions. It's the stragglers that are easy prey for the predators. And the enemy, the Bible says our enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, listen, seeking whom he may devour. 
And some of us are incredibly susceptible to attack because we have disengaged from the herd. We've gone our own way. We are, we think that we, that we're strong enough. We don't need the herd. Uh, The herd is a crutch. You know, I, I don't, that I'm going to blaze my own trail. We are more susceptible to temptation when we are isolated. We are more susceptible to compromise when we are alone. We are more susceptible to doubt. We are more susceptible to heresy. The enemy always attacks the stragglers. There is protection from predators. There is strength in numbers. Biblical community is not an optional accessory to Christianity. I know we live in North America. I know we live in Canada, which we, we like our personal space. Right? We like our personal space here. Right? We're in, in the states where I come from, uh, there's a little more of an openness to, um, to being closer together. But one of the differences moving here is, especially over the past year and a half, right? We, like six feet apart. And we are products of a hyper-individualistic culture, right? Where we, we see the need for community as a sign of weakness. Right? I, and so we, we have our, our little bubbles that we create, our little castles that we build. And every now and then, we'll venture out of our castle to get groceries. Or even now, we don't even have to do that, right? I mean, you, you, just get, you just order your groceries and they'll drop them off now. Or go pick them up. You don't even have to talk to anybody. You know? It's like an introvert's dream come true. We get, our, uh, we get um, skip the dishes, right? They just deliver it and drop it. And so over the past year and a half, what was already there has been magnified, has been multiplied. Right? Whereas before, you look at the early church. The early church got together every single day. It says every day they met together in the temple courts. Can you imagine how crazy accelerated our relationships would become if we got together every day? Yeah, yeah, but what about, um, you know, my kids' band practice? What about my kids' soccer practice? What about hockey practice? What about this? What about that? I'm telling you, if you want the product, you got to pay the price. To prioritize interaction with our spiritual family above and beyond other hobbies. Right? If you want what the Bible describes, it's possible, right? But you, we cannot meet twice a month. We cannot meet two or three hours a month and expect the supernatural. And, and people say, well, it's just not possible in our culture. No, our, it's not conducive in our culture. It's possible. But we have to be super intentional, which means we have to go against the flow. We have to stop allowing ourselves to be discipled by the spirit of the age and allow the spirit of God to direct our priorities. The enemy attacks the stragglers. Persecution, listen, could have fractured the early church. There are parts of the world right now, we've all seen it in the news over the last few days, where the church is being attacked. And it is possible, 
Right? Some people say the persecuted church always thrives. That's not historically true. There are parts of the world where the church has been eradicated. Right? Right? So it's possible here that this intense persecution, they're dropping the hammer down on, these, on the Christians the same way they dropped the hammer down on Jesus. And it could have fractured the early church, but it did the opposite. It fortified them. The hostility could have splintered the church. It could have suffocated the church. They killed the physical body of Jesus. And now they were trying to do the same thing to his spiritual body. In times of crisis and uncertainty, Peter and John went immediately to their spiritual family. And here's the question for us. Would we do the same? Would I call you before I called my mom? Before I called my in-laws? Before I called a lawyer? Before I called anybody else? Do we have such a commitment to Christian community that our spiritual instincts would lead us to connect with our spiritual family before we go anywhere else. Listen to this. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying the Bible, there's no fine print in the Bible, y'all. Like, the storm is coming. Like, I, I'm not an apocalyptic preacher. Some of you that have known me know. Like, but we just studied the book of Revelation last year, and it is like this crazy, clear Forecast, a biblical forecast. This is going to happen. Things aren't going to get better for real Christians. There's going to be an increased hostility to the point where it is unprecedented. And if we don't have community before the storm hits, we will splinter. When persecution comes, will it fracture or fortify? faith communities. Now, once Peter and John get there, what did the church do? They prayed. <laughs> it's anticlimactic, I know, because you're expecting some kachow, like you're expecting something awesome. Like, okay, these are like the first followers, man. Surely they had some type of ritual or maybe an angel showed up and like told them stuff. Nope. They prayed. Listen, y'all, this, this is not graduate-level Christianity. There's no excuse here, right? Well, I haven't been to Briarcrest. No, I'm not talking about you know, knowing the original languages, Greek and Hebrew. I've got to study the Aramaic. No, you don't. <laughs> I need to listen to more John Piper. No, you don't. They prayed. It's not complicated. It ain't rocket surgery. They didn't politically organize. They didn't stockpile weapons and food, which that needs to be a word for some of my people down south. <laughs> they didn't go underground. They prayed. And I know what you're thinking, man. Your 21st century educated minds are thinking this. And? <laughs> Come on, because that's what I'm thinking. Because we have been discipled to have such a low view of prayer that surely they did something other than pray. They prayed. What else did they do? Surely they did something else other than just pray. Look at this verse, right? You look here in Acts chapter 4. And this is a one-verse summary of Peter and John going to church and reporting what happened and then in verse 24, they start praying. 
So verse 23, they're telling all of this stuff that just happened. I mean, this is traumatic stuff, y'all. I mean, we got arrested, we got thrown into prison, we got put on trial, all of the VIPs were there, all of them, same guys that, that uh, murdered Jesus, like, and they were, man, they were, they, we were in the hot seat. That's one verse. 39 words, and then they start praying. I mean, come on, that's convicting for me. How many words have I said tonight? Like, when you do the math, like, singing's up here, preaching's up here, prayer. Because we really don't think prayer is sufficient. We've been discipled to think that prayer is the blooming onion. Have I been to Outback before? It's an appetizer. Or the chocolate thunder from down under. That's the uh, <laughs> dessert. We think that prayer is the appetizer, right? It's never the main course. And to be honest, if you were to hear that this was a prayer meeting and not somebody leading in worship and not somebody giving a sermon, we would be, eh. come on now. I was, I've, I've been to church most of my life and the prayer meetings are the least attended. I guess somebody's going to bring the word. That's worth my time. I mean, we're going to worship Jesus and sing. Okay, I'll, I'll make time for that, but pray. This is the pattern of the early church. In Acts 1.14, they all join together constantly in prayer. Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, this is the pattern of the life of Christ. Very often, he withdrew to lonely places where he prayed, right? And notice they, they, when they asked Jesus the secret of his power, of his effectiveness, they didn't say, Jesus, teach me to sing. That's what the 21st century North America would say. Or they did. Uh, this is the one I like. They didn't say, Jesus, teach me to preach. Right? That's, yeah. No, what did they they saw, they, th this guy is so powerful and he's making such a difference. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So they were following the pattern of Jesus and the early church continued in this. Romans chapter 15, Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together... With one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together, with one voice. You look in this room, you look Acts chapter 1. There were 120 radically different people in the upper room. Right? And then Acts chapter 4. It says they were joined together with one voice in prayer. Different ages. You had kids in the room. You had youth in the room. You had young adults in the room. I long for the day when we have youth and young adults, when we have more youth and young adults than we do older people. Right? You had all different kind of preferences in the room. Different political affiliations in the room different socioeconomic levels in the room. And yet, it says they joined together with one voice in prayer. Their prayer started with God, who God is and what he has done. They said, Sovereign Lord. This is a powerful way to start a prayer, acknowledging that they are not in control. 
From the very beginning, they're acknowledging who God is, who they are communicating with. A declaration of the heart of Christian theology in the invocation. Sovereign Lord. Like that's, that is us, right? And, and the biblical term that they use here is the word for slave. Right? The, the, the um, more modern translations try to soften it a little bit, right? Because that's offensive. They say servant or bondservant, right? But it is the king of kings on the one throne in the universe. That's who we are talking to, right? Sovereign Lord, we know that you created everything. He spoke creation into existence and he holds it all together. Not just the earth with the 7.6 billion people, not just our solar system, not just our galaxy with 250 billion stars, but the universes, plural. That's who we're communicating with. So there should be a little bit of a tremble, right? <laughs> when we are talking to the most powerful being in the universe. It's an incredible way to start a prayer, a prelude of providence. They didn't pray for their circumstances to change. They didn't pray for God to destroy their enemies. They didn't pray for deliverance from persecution. Rather, they prayed for boldness to share the gospel. I mean, just think about my prayer life and my history and your prayer life and how prayer was modeled for us. Oh, Lord, be with this person. Deliver this person. Heal this person. Rescue this person. What if we were to change how we prayed and say, God, let the gospel shine through this person in spite of their circumstance. In that hospital room, let the nurses and the doctors come just get slapped in the face with your presence. I mean, what if we started praying like the early church prayed? They prayed for boldness in the midst of hostility. They prayed that oppression would become an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And their prayer was rooted in scripture. Verse 28 is just a huge statement on the sovereignty of God, right? Where, he's, where they, they pray, they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. We find ultimate solace in his sovereignty. Hey, when the world looks like it's coming unhinged, when the world looks like it's circling the drain, when the world looks like it is random and chaotic, right? we could get sucked into that madness. But what do they say here? These guys aren't in control. Right? These VIPs, these political leaders, these religious leaders, they aren't in ultimate control. You are. And so they're able to sleep at night, not because of their circumstance, but because of who God is. Nothing can overrule his ultimate power. As the song says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. God is never caught off guard. God is never surprised. God's will is never written in pencil. God does not have contingency plans. God doesn't know what panic feels like. Ephesians 1 says, In Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Say everything. 
who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and will. Job 42, verse 2. This is the last chapter of Job. Right? And Job, you know, pleaded his case with God, and then chapter after chapter, God put Job in his place. Basically, God told Job, who do you think you are? Like, like you, were you there? Like, when I spoke creation into existence, do you see the beginning from the end in one glance? And after God puts Job in his place, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Another translation puts it this way. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. And I find great, great comfort in his sovereignty. Right? There is an ultimate plan. It's not all meaningless. Right? It's not just random. His sovereignty is the key to our sanity. His providence is the key to our peace. This, this, is, this is why they were fearless. They endured injustice. They endured tor torture. They endured suffering because of the belief in God's sovereignty. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Listen, what can mere humans do to me? That's, that's, it's not arrogance, it's confidence, right? Where you hold your head up high because you are a child of the king of all kings. Right? And these other people that are bringing hurt into your life, these other people that think they are in control, we should have this confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? A bedrock belief in God's sovereignty will give us this unshakable confidence in spite of our circumstances. A.W. Tozer says, while it looks like things are out of control behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. Their prayer continues. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're praying for extreme courage. They're praying for fearless faith. They're praying for reckless passion. And they prayed for signs and wonders in the midst of the opposition. And I am praying the same thing for us. I am praying the same thing for us. That there is an unapologetic declaration of biblical truth, right, where we are a people of the book. There's a declaration of the gospel, but then there is a demonstration of the power. They, pray, they had both. They prayed for both. And what did God do? He answered their prayer. God answered their prayer, filled them with the Holy Spirit. And listen, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all, say all, did it say, and the preachers were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness? The professional ministers were filled with the Holy... No. Who? Oh. <laughs> this is the priesthood of the believer. I, this is the Holy Spirit that I have. Is the same Holy Spirit you have. This is what it means to be the church, right? 
where you are sent. God has sent you to be a child of light somewhere in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your career. This is this filling, it says here. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine a platoon of preachers? Not just one or two, not just five or six, right? not just kind of the elite like Delta Force Christianity. But I'm talking every Christian filled with, a, filled with the same spirit that results in this boldness, this reckless courage where you are discerning the opportunities every day to have gospel influence in your world. Says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is separate from the initial indwelling that happened in Acts chapter 2. This is a fresh filling. And that's where I want to end. Come on, how many of us need a fresh filling? How many of us, if we were honest, were to say, man, I've been coasting on spiritual fumes. You know what I'm talking about. The light has been flashing for a few kilometers. And, and you know it's, you're, you're about to break down. Right? You're not going to make it much longer. And I'm not talking about putting a few drops in the tank just to get you through another day. I'm talking about a fullness a filling of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus, be filled with the Spirit. This is a plural imperative. You know what that means? That means it's a command for every Christian. Every Christian is commanded by God's Word to be filled with His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome temptation. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to defeat the demons that attack you. The Holy Spirit gives you the courage to make a stand for your conviction. It's the Spirit that draws us together. It's not that we have other interest in common. It's that we have Christ in common and that supersedes everything else. The Spirit will give you the words to say at the right time if you're filled with the Spirit. That's the key. Uh, the, the key to their boldness here, right? The key to their effectiveness was not evangelism training, was not having an incredible church to invite people to. It, the Holy Spirit. They got lit up. And they never got over it. And so that's the challenge, is to ask God for a fresh filling. Right? If you came in here on fumes, you don't have to leave that way. Right? Jesus said that those that believe in him, the spirit would be like a river. I'm not talking, I'm talking the dam breaking and the river flowing. And it washes out all of the junk, man. All of the garbage that's been clogging the pipes. The spirit flows like a river. And it brings refreshment. 
so that we can be an oasis. When we walk out of here in a dry and weary land, right? we're not thirsty like everybody else because we have the Spirit. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.